freedom, man. That's what it's all about. human consciousness, mind control, natural law, the occult, and all issues that affect the freedom of the people of Earth. What on Earth is happening will endeavor to shine light upon the darkness of our world and to offer empowering solutions to the problems we face as humanity approaches its critical moment of choice. And now, here is your host, Mark Passio. Well, ladies and gentlemen, like the intro music says, freedom, that's what it's all about. And it's about very little else. Today is Tuesday, May 11th, 2010. I'm your host, Mark Passio. And you're listening to What on Earth is Happening. This is the show where we talk about the causal factors in consciousness of the human condition that we all collectively experience. My website is www.whatonearthishappening.com and the network's website is revolutionbroadcasting.com The show is live for two hours every Tuesday evening from 8 to 10 p.m. Eastern Time. So, I have a pretty good program lined up for today. We're going to continue with the topics that we left off on on last program which was barriers to self-realization. And um, we'll jump into that in a few moments. But uh, I always start off the show with uh, an event, event announcements for events that are coming up in the Philadelphia area. Uh, actually, even before I do that, let me give the call-in number for the show. If anyone wants to call in, you can call in at any time. There are no taboo topics on this show. Talk about whatever you like. The call-in number is 347-884-9417. Once again, 347-884-9417. Now, when you do call in, please hold on the line. I look at the switchboard here from time to time. As I'm doing the show, I'm the only one here. So, uh, you know, sometimes it may take me a little bit to see that there's a caller on the line. Usually I get to it pretty quickly, but if I don't, hold on the line and I will get to you. So the call-in number, 347-884-9417. Uh, 
So I'll start with an event announcement that I have read in previous weeks, and I will continue to read for the next two months until uh, this event actually occurs. And I will do that because of the importance, the significance of this event and the significance of the man who inspires this event. For those of you who still may not know who Nikola Tesla was, I highly encourage everyone to research the life of this man, research how brilliant, research how brilliant he was, research what he already has done for this world and all of the people on it, and research what his vision, his future vision for the world really was and why it is so critical at this juncture in history to try to make that vision come alive and come true. So, this summer in Philadelphia, there's going to be an event called the Nikola Tesla Energy Independence Celebrations. It's going to be going on from Friday, July 9th through Sunday, July 11th. It's a three-day event. And there is there's uh, an area um, of involvement for every level of interest, from the scientist to the layman to, to the tourist that is just passing through Philadelphia. So I'll read the press release for this event. The Tesla Science Foundation brings together scientists, inventors, and enthusiasts for a three-day conference highlighting the need for a new energy paradigm. This July in Philadelphia, the Nikola Tesla Science Foundation will be hosting a three-day conference and celebration to commemorate Nikola Tesla's legacy and world vision. Tesla was a brilliant inventor who lived during the turn of the 20th century. His innovations resulted in the implementation of alternating current, radio, the AC motor, wireless technology, and many other influential inventions that we now take for granted in the modern age. Tesla's vision to bring clean, free energy to the world through advanced wireless technologies was blocked by the financial and corporate interests of his time. Through this event, the Tesla Science Foundation will bring together like-minded scientists, inventors, and enthusiasts who share the common goal of bringing Tesla's advanced energy technologies to fruition for the betterment of humanity. And here is the event schedule. They're going to have a Tesla birthday bash celebration. This is going to be on, on July 9th from 10 p.m. to 2 a.m. This will take place on the lawn at the Independence Visitor Center in Independence Mall National Park. This is on 6th and Market Streets in Philadelphia. This event is free to attend. Anyone can come out and celebrate Tesla's birthday. Tesla was born on midnight between July 9th and 10th. The next day, there's going to be four events, and three of them are taking place at the same time because they're for different levels of interest. 
So for you know, the general person that may not know a lot about Tesla, just may want some information, may want to uh, just be part of a good time, kind of a party atmosphere, they're holding an event called Tesla Fest. This is on July 10th, and it's an all-day thing. It's going on from 10 a.m. To, to 8 p.m. This is also on the lawn at Independence Visitor Center at 6th and Market Streets. This will feature exhibits, information, art, music, and it'll just be a, a general good time for people to learn about who Tesla was, what he tried to do, and uh, hopefully uh, get them interested in this uh, great organization, the Tesla Science Foundation, and um, that is also free to attend. So that's an all-day event, and that's free to attend at Independence Visitor Center, July 10th, 10 a.m. to 8 p.m. On the same day, there will be presentations and lectures for the layman, for, for non-scientists, for just general enthusiasts who want to learn more about Tesla and his technologies and some practical applications for them in the modern world. This will be taking place on July 10th from 10 a.m. to 5 p.m at the Free Library of Philadelphia. That's at 1901 Vine Street. I have the honor to emcee this event. I will be introducing all the speakers. And the list of speakers is, is compiled. There may be one or two more added, but in general, these are the speakers. Russell Anderson, Michael Kelly, Tatiana Miletic, Michael Treat, Mono Davina, Michael Craner, and Brian Yetzer. This event is also free to attend. So the, the presentations and lectures at the Free Library on July 10th from 10 a.m. to 5 p.m. are completely free and open to the public. Also on the same day, there's a scientific conference. So this is actually a two-day conference. This will be taking place July 10th and 11th. This is from 10 a.m. to 5 p.m. and this is for scientists and inventors. This will happen at 2 Liberty Place on the 32nd floor of the building. That's at 1601 Chestnut Street in Philadelphia. This event will feature 10 scientific presentations, at least 10, and uh, registration is required for this event. Uh, you could do that at the Tesla Science Foundation's website at teslasciencefoundation.org. So that's July 10th and 11th, a two-day scientific conference, 10 a.m. to 5 p.m. So the last part of the event is, last part of the uh, overall uh, conference is the reception dinner and concert. This will be on July 10th from 6 p.m. to 11 p.m. at the Arch Street Meeting House. Now, I had a mistake in the uh, event schedule for the last couple weeks. I'm going to correct that tonight. The Arch Street Meeting House is at 320 Arch Street. I had had 302 in, in, uh, printed in previous weeks, and I read that incorrectly. It, it is actually at 320 Arch Street in Philadelphia. This is going to feature the Divine Hand Ensemble, a great classical 
uh, music ensemble that is centered around the instrument called the theremin. The theremin, if you've never heard of it, look it up. It's spelled T-H-E-R-E-M-I-N, theremin. And it's an incredible instrument. It has to be heard to really be appreciated. And the person uh, who is playing it, Mono Divina, uh, who is the conductor of this uh, classical ensemble, is uh, a prodigy with it. He is just uh, incredible. And um, uh, the tones that come out of this device are just magnificent. So for this reception, dinner, and concert, the pricing is yet to be announced. I could tell you uh, more likely than not that it will be under, it will be $25 or under. I, I could pretty much say that, but we don't have the exact price set yet. So for a dinner and a beautiful concert uh, centered around a great cause such as, as this, uh, that's a steal. That's an absolute bargain. So come on out, uh, be part of it, get involved, and um, bring some information to others as well. Uh, for, for more details about this great conference that's coming up this summer in Philadelphia, you can see the conference website at www.teslasciencefoundation.org. That's teslasciencefoundation.org. And um, also, uh, they have a, a meetup group. And if you're interested in taking part in the activities that happen here locally in Philadelphia, you could join their meetup group at ntesla, that's n-t-e-s-l-a dot meetup dot com slash 38, the number 38, 38. So I'll read that again. The meetup group, you could join the, te the Tesla Club meetup group at ntesla dot meetup dot com slash 38. So that's the, uh, all the event announcements that I have for today. Um, actually, I have one other meetup, uh, one other event announcement for the Philadelphia area. I'm gonna, I'm gonna get that right now. Okay, here we go. This is another free documentary showing. Okay, another free documentary showing this uh, event is hosted by the great group Truth, Freedom, Prosperity. This will be Monday, May 17th. Monday, May 17th from 7 to 9.30 p.m. at the Ethical Society Building. A great building and a, a great place to come out and check, check out a, a great free documentary. This is going... Uh, uh, the Ethical Society Building is at 1906 South Rittenhouse Square in Philadelphia. 1906 South Rittenhouse Square. And um, they're going to be showing uh, Alex Jones's documentary, Fall of the Republic. Very well done piece, and uh, it should be very educational for everyone that comes out. Fall of the Republic. So I'll read the description. On the heels of Fedstock, your friendly neighborhood Truth, Freedom, Prosperity organizers decided to reach out and ask the group members which film they would like to see this month. You voted and the results are in. We decided to introduce this month's film, Fall of the Republic. Since we only have the room until 9.30, we've decided to start at 7 p.m. sharp. So try to arrive a little bit early. 
can arrive 15 minutes early. Alex Jones has outdone himself in this film. We promise it will be worth you and your guest's time, provided that you come with an open mind. So they're showing Fall of the Republic, documentary by Alex Jones, at the Ethical Society Building, 1906, South Rittenhouse Square, Monday, May 17th, 7 p.m. Try to get there a little bit early since the, the length of the film. They have the, uh, the, the, uh, lecture, the second floor lecture hall up there until 9.30. So they're going to sh start it sharp at 7 o'clock. So I think that's it. That's all for the event announcements. And I want to tell a little interesting anecdote about something that happened to me earlier today. So I was out doing some things as part of my involvement with the Tesla group in this area. And I, I went over to the free library uh, since I'm going to be emceeing for um, the event there. I went over there to check out the facilities and, uh, you know, gauge what we'll be needing. So for the people involved in the logistics, I can let them know what we'll need how many people will need things like that to help out with the actual technical things in there. And as I was coming coming out of there, I was I, I walked back home from there. And I was walking on Arch Street in Philadelphia um, toward Reading Terminal Market, if anyone is familiar with that area. And People were out there from an environmental organization. I'm not even quite sure. I believe it may have been Greenpeace or another similar environmental uh, organization. And they were stopping people on the street, handing out literature, giving people information. And as I was coming, one of the gentlemen involved with the group pointed over to me and he said, "Sir." do you have a moment for the environment? And I said, sure, do you? And he said, what do you mean? And I happened to be carrying some information about Nikola Tesla with me because I was on my way to another uh, a business that may be a potential sponsor for the event, not confirmed that I was bringing them some information and you know, hopefully that will pan out and they will decide to sponsor it. I don't know yet, but I, I was bringing them some information and so I, I had some info in my hands. And I said, a lot of the green movement and the, the people who are trying to organize different projects, they have good intentions. They understand there's problems with the environment a lot of their solutions don't really go far enough. They don't really take into account what really is possible from a technological standpoint. And this is largely because people who have a vested interest in keeping the energy paradigm the way that it is, they want to act, they want the environmental movement to act as a controlled oppositional paradigm, not a true solution for the energy shortages or woes or however you want to word it 
because free energy is never mentioned by them. Tesla is never brought up as if the, the man who gave us alternating current technology that powers our homes and our devices now didn't have the, with, with all of his brilliance and, and, and foresight and the, the vision that he brought forward into science, into the realm of science, he wouldn't know better than they how to actually harness the wheel work of nature, as he called it. To actually tap the enormous reserves of energy that are all around us and bring them to the people of the earth cleanly and freely. This is possible. This is doable. It isn't some pipe dream. It isn't some... Uh, some um, wild-eyed optimist vision of how things could be. It is very possible. Tesla was well on his way to being able to achieve this. And if we get our heads out of the this-can't-be-done way of thinking, this totally controlled way of thinking about what's possible, and we apply our imaginations collectively, we can make that vision happen. It is possible, but we have to be able to envision it, to imagine it, and then not just think about it, but will it to happen, to actually go forward and do it. And we have the minds and the resources to do that. But the problem is the suppression of this level of scientific know-how, understanding, and the suppression of people's imaginations by the status quo, by the controlling class, by the people who have a vested interest in keeping things the way they are, even at the expense of the very planet on which we rely for life. This is slowly going to be broken down, however, because people like this organization are not going to stop. They're going to go forward. They're going to show people that this is possible, and they're going to make this happen. So get involved. I, tr I tried to wake up this young gentleman who has great intentions, great intentions. But when I asked him about, has he ever heard of Tesla? No. Don't know what he, what he did, what he tried to do. Imagine that. He's not taught about in history books because they don't want school children to imagine that this is possible. They want them to accept the way things are, accept that it always has been like that, and accept that it always will be like this. And that simply isn't true. So I, I told him a little bit about what, who Tesla was, what he tried to do, and I could tell the wheels started spinning a little bit up there. You know, because when I said imagine a world that would not have no, rely, no dependence would not have to rely on mining, on drilling for oil reserves in the ground. We wouldn't need to use oil at anywhere near the rates that we're using it now, drilling it and, and consuming it now with Tesla technology. You would power your homes 
with free wireless electricity. Power your cars the same way. You wouldn't need internal combustion engines and all the parts that go along with it. And this is possible. But will we will it to happen? Do we have the internal will and the spirit of discovery to combine science with the imaginative and creative capacity that a being like Tesla had and displayed in his lifetime. We need to look to somebody like Tesla as an inspiration for what is possible. And that is how I view Tesla, and that is why I'm involved with this group. That is why I'm involved with this conference, because ultimately the control of energy is the control of human beings. It's that simple. This show is about freedom. And I think it's time for energy to be freed. Because energy is the basis of what we all are. And if it stays in a controlled paradigm, we will stay in a controlled paradigm. It's critical. Critical to the understanding of the big picture. How energy is controlled and how the controllers use it to control us. It's all about manufactured lack. It's all about keeping people dependent. Dependent. So, with, uh, with that event being announced and with uh, that anecdote being shared, uh, I'll give out the call-in number one more time. Hopefully we'll get some call-ins today and we could in- intersperse calls with some of the philosophical ideas that I have planned to uh, discuss on today's show. The call-in number is 347-884-9417. 347-884-9417. Today's topic is going to be a continuation of where we left off last week when we were talking about what prevents people from understanding who they really are. What I call the realization of the true self. Not the lowercase s self. The ego-centered self. The purely physical self. What some researchers like David Icke, for example, have called the body computer the five-sense physical world self, lowercase s. What prevents us from understanding our higher self, the self with a capital S? So why is this important to understand? Why is this a critical distinction to make between these two aspects of the same word, the self? Well, we started this program weeks ago, and I brought up the idea that ultimately all knowledge really worth understanding is self-knowledge. The knowledge that is going to really get us out of the mess that we are trapped in right now is knowledge of who we ultimately are, self-knowledge. 
This is important because if we are to understand the root causal factors that create the suffering that we experience here on earth, we need the ability to tell truth from falsehood. And ultimately, that comes from knowing who we really are, from understanding the true self, the higher aspects of the self. And this is what consciousness really is. Consciousness is letting go, true consciousness is letting go of attachment and illusion, getting out of fantasy land, of believing in fantasy and nonsense. And it's understanding what is real versus what is not real. Understanding truth, which is what is real, what actually is, from falsehood, which is inaccurate perceptions of reality or outright deception and lies. And sadly, sadly, the reason that humanity is in the unfortunate position that it is in right now is because vastly, vastly more people than not have not developed this capability. The capability to, the ability to understand and be able to tell truth from falsehood. This is the the underlying causal factor of why we suffer. And I will continue to stress that every week here. I will continue to repeat that every week. That is the root primary cause of what is taking place on this planet. Now, when we talk about issues like truth, invariably, there will be people who insist upon the idea that there is actually no such thing as truth, that perception is reality. This is the notion and the, the ideology, as we talked about before on this program, known as solipsism. I'll spell it. S-O-L-I-P-S-I-S-M. Look it up understand it, and also understand this is the main root ideology that leads to suffering. People insist upon the, the notion, the belief, that there is no such thing as actually being able to know what is taking place, the truth, and they insist that their own perception is reality. Not just their perception of reality, but perception is reality. This underlying ideology gives rise to every other ideology that creates suffering in the human condition. It's called solipsism. It leads to pure left-brain scientism or high intellect divorced from wisdom the kind of things that lead to hydrogen bombs being built. 
instead of wisdom prevailing and someone saying, should hydrogen bombs be built? Not intellect saying, can we build them? And if we're paid enough, will we build them? See, that intelligence, that's intelligence only. Left brain intelligence only says, can it be done? And I'll do it if I'm paid enough to do it. Let's find out if it can be done, and if there's a budget there, I'm in. But wisdom, true wisdom would say, should I be doing this? Is it right? Wisdom always asks the question, is it right? Which leads me to the next ideology that solipsism creates. Moral relativism. Not believing that there is, not knowing that there is any such thing as true, right, and wrong. The idea that these are relative ideas and that there is no such thing as morality. Well, that follows ideologically. Because if there's no such thing as truth, which is what a solipsist believes, then there isn't any such thing as morality, certainly. Because there's no such thing as right or wrong. It's all relative. This is the notion of moral relativism. That's a very quick and slippery descent from there to social Darwinism. The idea that some people have the right to decide who lives and who dies. And from there you get totalitarianism, you get eugenics, you get genocide, and every other extreme level of suffering that we experience over and over and over and over again, endlessly, seemingly. Until we get out of that underlying ideology. So we discussed that, and that's very important into understanding what blocks us from understanding the higher levels of self. We talked about the aspects of human consciousness, thought, emotion, and action, and how those three have to brought, be brought into unison with each other such that we are a being that as they think, so they feel, so they act, and that they cannot be internally divided through the force called opposition, internal opposition within. That's what divides our thoughts, our emotions, and our actions and gets us to take action against what we really think or believe or feel. We also discussed the human brain. We talked about the components of the brain because that's part of understanding who we really are. We need to understand how the brain functions. Okay? We need to understand what will balance or imbalance the brain. And we talked a little bit about brain imbalances. What creates brain imbalances? And we talked about what happens when the left brain becomes extremely imbalanced. And I'll be discussing that a lot tonight on the program. Okay? I call this the prison of the left brain. When somebody becomes so left-brained that they are trapped in that unidimensional linear way of thinking, the prison of the left brain, it goes hand in hand with some of the other barriers 
to self-realization that I'll be talking about. Hopefully we'll get to that one this evening. On this show previously, we talked about the dynamic forces of love and fear. Love being the expansive force of consciousness and fear being the force that shuts consciousness down. We talked about how those things are intricately related to the worldview that people hold. And brain imbalance ties in with that. What kind of worldview do you hold? How do you see yourself in relationship to other human beings and to the universe in general? A connected part of the whole, of, an, of this ocean of consciousness, of awareness, or is everything separate? And is it every, every being out for themselves, no matter who they have to step on to get what they need? Okay? Worldview. We talked about the schism of the worldview. The two extremely imbalanced worldviews, one to the left brain, one to the right brain, those being randomness and determinism. In past weeks, we talked about the forces of magic and sorcery being the arts and sciences of influence, how to influence thought and behavior, how to create change, not only within the self, but in others through influence. We talked about how these forces lead to two conditions, order or chaos. And the underlying understanding of how order and chaos are ultimately created in the world is called natural law. And we talked a lot about natural law in previous weeks, and we will discuss that further in future weeks. What creates order? What creates chaos? Order is ultimately based on the dynamic of awakening consciousness or love energy. It is ultimately based in brain balance, the balance between the left and right brain hemispheres. Chaos is rooted, has its roots in fear, and it has its roots in control external control of other people. And that is an outgrowth of fear or the force that shuts consciousness down such that we do not understand who we really are and we remain in a state of internal confusion and external opposition. And that's how chaos is created. So, Upon discussing all of these dynamics, which you can go back and listen to on previous podcasts, all the podcasts are right up on my site at whatonearthishappening.com. I redesigned the podcast page. You can listen embedded right in the page, or you can choose to download the MP3 and put it on a mobile audio device. And now there are pictures up there that are, uh, are associated with each particular podcast. So some of the topics that are discussed, there are associated images. And that's, you just go to whatonearthishappening.com and click the podcast tab. And that will take you to that. You can read a description of each podcast and the, uh, the sound file and pictures are right there. So last week we began the discussion of the barriers to self-realization. And I'm going to continue with that now by relisting them 
and then we'll take them one at a time and I'll continue to, to expand upon them each individually. There are four main barriers to, that, that block us. These are walls that are already erected from the time we come into the world and that we continue to strengthen. We continue to erect these for others to come after us to perpetuate the same condition. And that is ultimately the lack of understanding of who and what we really are. These four main barriers to awakening, to the realization of the true self, are as follows. The five sense illusion, that's number one. This is identification with matter, with the material realm. Identification and continual focus upon only the physical level of being. Now, the physical level of being is important, but being so attached to it that you really pay no attention to the mental or spiritual levels of being will get you in the mess that we've gotten ourselves into. So that's the first barrier to, to really waking up. The identification with the world of matter. Not understanding it as a construct for experience, but actually believing that's who we are. Number two, the second barrier to the realization of the true self, the higher self, is ego identification. So this is a second form of identifying oneself with something that one is not, or in other words, with illusion. It's identifying oneself with a role that one plays and believing that the role is who one is. This would be the equivalent of an actor starting to believe that they are the character they play. Okay, so th this is called ego identification. And we'll look at deeper aspects of what this is, and we'll look at specifically what the ego itself is in the way that I am using it here. That's the second barrier to self-realization. The third barrier is the prison of the left brain. This is a very popular methodology employed by sorcerers, people who want to control other people and not have them fully be aware or see how they are being controlled. And I assure you, I guarantee you that the vast, vast majority of the people in the particular particularly in the Western Hemisphere, and particularly in what we call Western civilization, are firmly trapped in this prison. 
firmly trapped in the prison of the left brain. This is the inability to think in a non-analytical, non-linear, intuitive way. What traps people here largely is the indoctrination, the planned indoctrination and very methodical indoctrination that they are put through in the modern so-called educational system that we have in, in Western civilization. Now, that is not to say that people in the East in Eastern culture and in the Eastern Hemisphere don't have the same problem because many of them do as well. It's even more prevalent in the Western Hemisphere, but it is a favored methodology of mind control. Let's, let's get down to brass tacks and call this barrier to self-realization what it really is. It is one of the methodologies of mind control. And if you still don't think mind control is what's really ultimately behind all of this, you haven't really learned a thing. This is what is really driving the devastation of human freedom and human sovereignty on this planet. This is what's really creating all of the conditions that we don't like and don't want on this planet, that we call bad or negative or evil. Okay? The prison of the left brain, the third barrier to the realization of the true self, is a critical one because so many people are trapped in that modality of consciousness. And when they're trapped there, they're only a half of a person. They're only really half of, a, of an actual being, of a human being. Okay? They haven't developed the intuitive faculties. They haven't developed the nurturing faculties, the sacred feminine aspects that go along with being connected firmly with the right brain hemisphere. That's not to say the left brain hemisphere isn't equally as important, because it is. They need to be brought together in balance. So that's the third barrier to self-realization. And the fourth barrier could be one of the strongest, could be the strongest. This is another form of attachment. It's the strong belief and attachment to institutionalized systems of thought. So I'll say that again. Being strongly attached to institutionalized ways of thinking and being in the world. Institutionalized belief systems. Because that's what these ultimately are. They're ideologies. They're belief systems. They're not philosophies. They're not true understandings. They're not recognitions of anything, certainly not recognitions of natural law principles. What these institutions are, are ideologies that are erected to protect them, themselves and perpetuate themselves. As such, these become 
institutions or institutionalized ways of thinking and behaving. So we'll be getting into what those are and how they have a firm stranglehold on the human mind. And until we break down the attachment to those institutionalized belief systems, don't expect much to change on this planet, folks. Sad to have to break that news to you. Because we need to do so much more in the mind, in consciousness, than most people think. We're a long, long, long way off from where we need to be. For people that think they're going to just work a little bit within the system and, and make, make a change happen in the system and you know everything's going to be fine, most people that think that way are kidding themselves because the system is what's keeping things the way it is. The systems that are all around us, these institutionalized systems, are what's keeping things the way they are, what's actually controlling people because they have a firm grip and a firm control and a firm stranglehold on the minds, the minds of almost every human being walking on this planet. They're the boxes that we bring to the table. Okay? Let's make the truth fit in my box. Oh, I'll listen to you up to a point. I'll hear what you have to say on government, but don't talk about my religion being astrotheology. Anything but that. Now I'm walking in the other direction. Let's, let's discuss the whole monetary issue, but don't tell me about the poison that's in my food. See, every, most people have boxes that they bring to the table. And this, all, this one ties in with ego with ego identification, barrier number two out of these four extreme strangleholds on the human mind and spirit. Ego ultimately is the inability to say the three words, I was wrong. That's what ego ultimately is. And I was, I was in a car a couple of days ago talking with a couple of gentlemen involved in the Tesla Foundation and I was talking to them about some things that I thought I was sure and right about. And I'll, I'll briefly, as an aside, just tell this anecdote. When I first really, really started to come online and understand what was really going on in the world as far as mind control goes and as far as all the forms, the multifaceted forms of control that surround us, that, that keep our, our minds in such a limited state as a species, that destroy the human imagination. I, I was still quite naive at that point. And I thought it would just be a matter of alerting some of the people around me to what was going on and explaining to them that people who don't have their best interests at heart were getting them to believe in all of these things that aren't true 
And if I simply laid out some evidence before them, they would, uh, they would appeal to reason. Re the reason in it and the logic in it would be seen by them. How wrong I was as anybody who is at at least a semi-decent level of being quote-unquote awake or conscious could tell you. It isn't just a matter of explaining information to people. See, because they're shut down at a deep ego attachment level. They're shut down. Their consciousness is shut down from the level of the inability to admit that they are wrong about something that they are firmly attached to, that they believe is the case, that they accepted as their perception of reality and began to believe that that is the accurate perception. So they formed an attachment to it. And giving that up, even beginning the process of giving that up, is too much for them to bear because they have their identity wrapped up in it. Or step barrier number two. Their ego is identified with it. They're attached and identified with that belief. So that, this is what we're going to be more deeply talking about and further fleshing out for the remainder of this program. I'm going to start with number one, which we touched on briefly at the end of last week's show. And that was the five sense illusion. The five sense illusion. We talked about that the five senses are our ways of experiencing reality. They're our ways of experiencing the universe. These are our biological technologies, our eyes. These are receptors for certain visible wavelengths or frequencies of light. So the eyes are one of our receptors, antennas if you like, ways of picking up frequencies. You have your ears. You could hear sound frequencies within a certain range that the equipment, the biological equipment we have is attuned to that is capable of picking up. We have smell, which works on the same principles. We have touch, and we have taste. The five senses. Now, why do I call it the five sense illusion? Well, this is because what we get wrapped up in is identifying with the frequencies, the wavelengths that we can pick up with the sense perception organs. We get wrapped up in the notion, in the belief, in the idea that 
This is all that exists. Hand in hand with that notion that only those minuscule frequencies in the totality of the frequency ranges that do exist that we can pick up are the only ones that exist. Okay? Hand in hand with that flawed perception or way of seeing what we can perceive goes the notion that matter is purely solid and that it is a solid physical thing. Now, that is an abstract notion, is an abstract thought. And most people have a difficult time with that one. The people that have a difficult time with that one usually are the very left brain imbalanced or left brain prison people. Okay? They have a problem with that one because their five sensory perception is telling them, wow, matter is solid. I can't put my hand through that piece of wood or that piece of, of metal or that brick. Okay? It's solid. It is solid at the macro level at which we experience it. So what I want to start to talk about today, and I'm going to spend a decent amount of time on this, because in my presentation when I give it live, I don't really get a long time to flesh out this idea. And I think it's critical, critical for us to understand how this really works. So the five sense illusion of matter, when we're talking about large amounts of matter or the macro domain, macro meaning big, large things, things that we can see, okay? We experience them as solid, but what they are made of are atoms. And if, anybody, if you ask anybody that knows even a little bit about the structure of an atom, they will tell you, one, we don't really fully understand what an atom is even to this day. And two, an atom is anything but solid. It contains upwards of 99.99999% empty space. And those quantum physicists, those who study matter at the quantum level, the very, very small scale, will tell you even that level, even, even that small amount of matter that we think is solid is, is actually, when you get down to examining it, only a tendency, only an expression of energy, only a potential, that being the key word, potentiality. So in the next hour, we're going to continue to flesh out the five sense illusion and how this potential, which is pure energy, becomes manifestation, becomes manifested as a physical particle, physical matter, and as events in our reality. Okay? 
I'll flesh that out in the next hour. You're listening to What on Earth is Happening. I'm your host, Mark Passio. Thanks for listening for this hour. Be back shortly. Freedom, man. That's what it's all about. You've got to groove on freedom like the good book says. listening to what on earth is happening this show will discuss the topics of human consciousness mind control natural law the occult and all issues that affect the freedom of the people of earth what on earth is happening will endeavor to shine light upon the darkness of our world and to offer empowering solutions to the problems we face as humanity approaches it's critical moment of choice. And now, here is your host, Mark Passio. Welcome to Hour 2, everyone. Liberate your soul and mind. It's waiting for you all to find. What great advice. Uh, For those uh, of you who might be interested, the intro music that I play on this show is by the band Cathedral. Uh, They're one of my favorite bands out there. Um, Great guy, uh, Lee Dorian, heads up that band. They're from the United Kingdom. Um, So, what I'm going to do is get right into the event announcements, which I read at the top of each hour on this show, and then we're going to continue to flesh out the barriers to the realization of the true self, the barriers towards self to self-realization, the walls that we need to break down to get past this trap that we are seemingly stuck in at this point in human history. This is What on Earth is Happening. I'm your host, Mark Passio. The show is live every Tuesday evening, 8 p.m. Eastern Time. The call-in number, I'm going to give the call-in number again if anybody wants to uh, give me a shout. Feel free to call in at any time. There are no taboo topics. Talk about whatever you want here. Call in number is 347-884-9417. 347-884-9417. So I'll jump right into the announcements. This summer in Philadelphia, a great event is going to be put on by some great people and Everybody, whether you're going to come to this event or not, should really research and check out the man who inspires this event. Nikola Tesla, 
the Nikola Tesla Energy Independence Celebrations, 2010. July 9th, 10th, and 11th in Philadelphia, PA. The Tesla Science Foundation brings together scientists, inventors, and enthusiasts for a three-day conference highlighting the need for a new energy paradigm. This July in Philadelphia, the Tesla Science Foundation will be hosting a three-day conference and celebration to commemorate Nikola Tesla's legacy and world vision. Tesla was a brilliant inventor who lived during the turn of the 20th century. His innovations resulted in the implementation of alternating current, radio, the AC motor, wireless technology, and many other influential inventions that we now take for granted in the modern age. Tesla's vision to bring clean, free energy to the world through advanced wireless technologies was blocked by the financial and corporate interests of his time. Through this event, the Tesla Science Foundation will bring together like-minded scientists, inventors, and enthusiasts who share the common goal of bringing Tesla's advanced energy technologies to fruition for the betterment of humanity. Here's the event schedule. July 9th, from 10 p.m. to 2 a.m., the Tesla Birthday Bash. Tesla was born at midnight between July 9th and 10th. This is going to be on the lawn at the Independence Visitor Center at 6th and Market Streets in Philadelphia. It's free to attend, and there'll be some Tesla coils. They're going to uh, set off uh, Tesla works, as they're calling it, Tesla-inspired fireworks. They're going to fire off some Tesla coils at midnight at the hour of Tesla's birth. That's the Tesla birthday bash, July 9th, 10 p.m. to 2 a.m., Independence Visitor Center, 6th and Market, free to attend. Next event is the Tesla Fest. This is an all-day festival outside at the Independence Visitor Center. There'll be music there. There'll be some art there. There will be exhibitions, uh, some, uh, some inventors with their inventions, um, general information. This is also free to attend. This will be happening all day on July 10th at 6th and Market Street, Independence Visitor Center, from 10 a.m. to 8 p.m. That'll be going on. That's, they're calling that Tesla Fest. Now, um, a couple of the uh, more serious aspects of the events. There will be presentations and lectures about Tesla, his life, his technologies, some practical applications for his technologies in the modern world. This will be Saturday, July 10th, 10 a.m. to 5 p.m. at the Free Library of Philadelphia, 1901 Vine Street in the main lecture hall. So I will be emceeing that event myself. I work with the Tesla Science Foundation. I'm honored to be uh, an active member of that organization. And uh, they asked me to emcee the event at the Free Library. There's going to be some great speakers there, including Russell Anderson. Russell will be speaking about anti-gravity. This is a guy people really need to, need to check out. And uh, um, uh, electrogravitic propulsion technologies. He has an anti-gravity flyer based on some of the technology of not only Nikola Tesla, but also T. Townsend Brown. So uh, he is one of the speakers. Michael Kelly is another speaker. Tatiana Militech, Militech. Michael Treat. 
Manu Davina, Michael Craner, and Brian Yetzer, confirmed speakers for the presentations and lectures at the Free Library of Philadelphia. This is also free to attend. All of these great speakers, presentations, information on Tesla and related technologies, July 10th, 10 a.m. to 5 p.m. at the Free Library of Philadelphia, 1901 Vine Street, totally free to attend. There'll be a reception, dinner, and concert on the evening of July 10th, 6 p.m. to 11 p.m. at the Arch Street Meeting House. That's at 320 Arch Street. This will feature the classical ensemble known as the Divine Hand, the Divine Hand Ensemble. Check out their website, www.divinehand.net. You will be absolutely amazed at the... The, the music that this group puts out, how beautiful it is, and uh, it is centered around the electronic instrument known as the theremin. Pricing for the dinner and concert is still to be announced. However, I'm fairly confident that I could tell you that it will be $25 or under, which is an absolute bargain for a great evening out. And uh, just... Uh, uh, it's going to a great cause because the control of energy is the control of people and that needs to come to an end and we do need a new energy paradigm if we're really going to be free. The last part of this conference is the scientific conference itself. This is for, will be very much geared toward scientists and inventors. They want to explore uh, these um, theories and technologies. This will be July 10th and 11th. This will be really the bulk of the co conference and what it's really for is to support scientists and inventors who are forward thinking and understand um, why we need the application of Nikola Tesla's technologies, his more advanced technologies now more than ever. and not just to develop them, but to develop them in the service of humanity and human potential. Um, and that is what Tesla really did have envisioned for the world until his, um, his funding was suddenly cut by people with other interests in mind. So this scientific portion will be July 10th and 11th from 10 a.m. to 5 p.m. on both days at 2 Liberty Place, on the 32nd floor, this is at 1601 Chestnut Street. It will feature at least 10 scientific presentations, and registration is required for this event. I don't personally right now know the exact pricing, but you can register for the scientific portion of the conference at the um, foundation's website, teslasciencefoundation.org. And that's the website you want to go to for any uh, emerging details and for any other information, uh, teslasciencefoundation.org. Also, if you want to join the meetup group associated with this group, the Nikola Tesla Club meetup group, um, they keep you abreast of all the activities of the, the Tesla Foundation in this area. And you can go and join the meetup.com group at ntesla, 
www.meetup.com slash 38. That's N-T-E-S-L-A, N-Tesla, dot meetup, dot com, slash, the number 3838, okay? So that's the first announcement. The second one that I have for everyone is a free documentary showing of Fall of the Republic will be shown at the Ethical Society building in Philadelphia, 906 South Rittenhouse Square, Monday, May 17th, from 7 p.m. to 9.30 p.m. Be there sharp at 7.30, because it's a long film, it's a great documentary, come with an open mind, and be on time or early, because the film is going to be started at 7 o'clock sharp. Fall of the Republic, free documentary showing, invite your friends, invite your family members, it's a very well done and very well put together documentary about what is going on right now in the United States and this is at the Ethical Society building, a great venue, a great place to see a free documentary Monday, May 17th 7 o'clock p.m. sharp get there a little bit early so that's the event announcements I have for the second hour of this show and I'm going to jump right back in to the philosophical ideas that we were, and, and in, in, in many ways, scientific ideas that we were discussing on the first hour. We were talking about the barriers to the realization of the true self, the barriers to self-realization. Now, right in the word realization, there is a clue to what it is. You are using your real vision because you are using your real eyes. This is not accidental. This is not coincidence. This is something that as you start to understand more and more about what is really going on and as you open your consciousness more and more and you open your mind up to possibilities and to imagination and to higher level understanding higher level understanding than pure intellect, than left brain understanding. When you open your mind to wisdom, to the wisdom that is contained and is nature, is natural law principles, is the, the divine ordering intelligence that is inherent in creation, you start to understand that the truth is embedded in the language that we speak. Words can tell us so much about deeper meaning, deeper purpose, and, about, and, and to help us to gain an accurate perception of reality regarding what's taking place within us and in the realm in which we exist the so-called external world. So right in the word realization is real eyes, phonetically. Realization, using your real eyes. Kind of like in the movie The Matrix, when they unplug Neo from his pod, 
and they're they're rebuilding his muscles. They're they're helping him to be able to function in the real world again because he was trapped in the land of illusion. He was trapped in fantasy world in in the matrix. And he asks as they're assisting him in this process of helping to build up his strength. He says, why do my eyes hurt so much? And the answer that comes back from Morpheus is because you've never used them. Because you've never used them. Most people here are not using their real eyes. They see things from a skewed perspective that is based in brain imbalance, that is based in fear, that is based in a poisoned view of themselves and the world in which they live, and most of all, is based, is rooted. And the reason that it is there is due to deep, deep mind control. Let's make no bones about that. Let's not sugarcoat it at all. And let's call it what it really is, mind control. Ultimately, breaking out of that sense of that false paradigm of reality, of that mind control that most people are embedded in, is coming to an understanding of the true self. That's what getting out of mind control ultimately is about. Knowing who we really are. Becoming self-realized. Seeing with the real eyes, which equates to being able to see the truth as it is. Being able to see the world around us as it is, not skewed by how we wish to see it. That is ultimately what self-realization is about. The ability to tell truth from falsehood. So, we were talking about the five-sense illusion, that we, we have sense perception organs that are attuned to be able to pick up certain frequencies of reality, but not all frequencies. An example is the human eyes cannot see colors that exist below the violet range. I'm sorry, below the red range of colors. We call this the infrared spectrum, the infrared frequencies. Infra meaning below. We cannot see below red. Now, above the violet frequencies, called the ultraviolet, the human eye cannot perceive. Does that mean there are no frequencies that exist at either of those levels, below the, the red or above the violet colors of the spectrum, of the visible spectrum? No. Of course there are frequencies there. There's an infinity of frequencies there. The eye is not attuned to perceive them, and therefore we can't see them. It doesn't mean they're not there. A dog whistle is another great example. The human ear is attenuated, is attuned to being able to receive and pick up and process and decode certain frequencies of sound. Does that mean other frequencies of sound do not exist? 
that other beings with different sense perception organs or biological technologies would not be able to perceive. Of course, would be able to perceive. Of course, it doesn't mean that they're not there. Okay? A dog can hear sound frequencies that a human ear cannot perceive. Well, to a very left brain or a very five-sense trapped individual, when someone blows a dog whistle, they would say there's nothing there. That doesn't exist. There's no sound there. No sound is being generated. Well, sound waves are leaving that dog whistle, and they are striking your eardrum. Your eardrum does not have the capacity, the ability to pick up that frequency. It doesn't matter whether you want to or not, whether you believe that sound exists or not. It is there. And you will understand that it is there. Just blow one around a dog. Okay? They can perceive it. We cannot. Perception is not reality. When people are locked up in the notion that only that which they can perceive with the five senses is that which is actually taking place around them, they're, ki they're fooling themselves. They're entering the land of illusion. They're entering deep ego, which is no the barrier number two, ego identification, and it fits hand in hand with the five sense illusion. We were talking at the bottom of the last hour about how people not only think of reality as only that which can be perceived with the five senses, but as matter, as being completely solid and physically solid and real from a perspective of this is actually what exists and this is, is all that is that matter is the only thing that is important. This ties in with the notions that physical survival is all that is important, that um, only physical well-being is all that is important, no matter how much the mind may degenerate or the spirit may degenerate. And this is a very, very deep and difficult trap to, to be stuck in, and it's difficult to get out of. Because once we're attached to these notions that, that the, the things we can perceive are all that exists and that matter is completely solid, we get into the state of having a severely, severely limited idea of what is actually possible. Because we have a severely limited idea of what reality contains. So we're cutting ourselves off from different choice points, you can look at it as. We're cutting ourselves off ultimately from imaginative potentials. And that was, that was what I left the last hour off on was that matter ultimately is actually not solid, but is a potential energy. It has a potential to exist. If we look at the quantum level of matter, we will see that all matter really is, is energy that is vibrating at a certain frequency. 
That's all it is. It is not actually solid mass as we think of solidity. Now, all matter is made of the same basic substance. Vibratory energy. This is the basis of physical reality. And all, all reality, all matter shares these same properties. It's what we are made of. It's what the stars and galaxies are made of. Okay? So from the very, 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 very small to the very, 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 very large. From the micro domain to the macro domain. Essentially, matter is vibratory energy. That's the key thing to keep in mind. It ultimately does not actually have solidity as we are used to thinking of solidity. If you are able to perceive it at the quantum scale, which is the very, very an infinitesimally small scale, you would see that matter is simply vibrating energy with ultimately no mass. Think of it like a guitar string that is plucked. And when you, when you see it move, you can think of it that, oh, that string is in, is in all of those places at once. Okay? Think of it like, what, what if you were to spin around a jump rope so fast that it looked like a ball to the, the, the visual field? Okay? You, like, like a fan, right? A fan blade is not in all of the, the, the space that, that, the, that um, it spins in. The blades are only in half to two-thirds of the space that the fan, the full fan actually spins in. Now, does that mean that you won't perceive that fan as something that's solid if you put your finger in it? Sure you will. But it doesn't mean that the entire plane on which the fan is spinning in is the solid part of the fan. It's the same thing with matter and energy. Vibration is what makes energy appear solid. So if you were to take a string or a jump rope, as I gave an example of, and and twirl it extremely, extremely, extremely fast. You could almost make that appear like a solid ball of matter because no one's hand would be able to be put through it. You would, you would, it, would, it would strike the hand, and depending on how fast it was going, it would actually feel like something that is solid if you could not actually get any other piece of solid matter through it if you follow the visual example I'm trying to construct. We have to understand that is ultimately what all matter is. Why is this important to understand? Okay. To illustrate why matter as potential is important to understand, I'm going to go into an explanation of an experiment in quantum mechanics that 
really blew a lot of scientists' minds when this was first done in laboratories and has deep, profound implications for understanding how our thoughts and actions create the reality that we experience through taking the total potentials that are available to us. Some would call this the imagination. Some would call this the unified field. Some would call this the realm of pure potentiality. It's been, it's been given many different names. Okay, The, the imaginal realm, um, the, the realm of pure potentiality, the unified field of existence. That is where all potentials are derived from and grow out of. To understand that better, we need to understand how matter works at the very, very, very small scale. Once we have a firm understanding of how matter works at the quantum scale, I know this is get, it will get into a little bit scientific, a little bit technical, but if we understand this at a deep level, if we really, really get what is being said here, we will understand how we create our reality at a macro level, at the larger level, through our decisions. And what our decisions are doing are collapsing paths of potential. They are collapsing possibilities. Waves of possibility are collapsed through our choices, through our worldview, through how we think and feel, and ultimately by the decisions we make to actually act in the world. And through a vast amount of people taking part in that activity, because we all take part in that activity every day, we decide what we're going to do with our time. We, we are thinking about ourselves, our role in the world, how we feel about different situations, what we're going to do with our time, what we're going to do with our resources, what we're going to do with our intellect, what we're going to do with how we feel about things, and ultimately what we're going to do, the action we're actually going to take in the world. Now, through everybody doing that, we collapse these potentials that exist for anything to be able to happen, for anything to occur. Potentiality. And we collapse them into the creation of what we are actually experiencing in the world. Now, we will understand that a little bit more clearly when we look at how matter behaves at a very, very, very fundamental level, the quantum level, the very small level. Now, the word quantum means amount in Latin. Quantum means amount. So what this word is used to describe is a packet 
of energy, an amount of what we call matter, which is essentially energy, as we just talked about. So there's an experiment in science that is, I, I guess, not so, fa so fairly recent. It's been around for almost 20 years, if not that amount so far, maybe even longer than that. It's called the double slit experiment. The double slit experiment. S-L-I-T, slit, okay? As in making a slice through something. The double slit experiment. Look this up on a video website. Maybe I'll post a video link to it on the, uh, the podcast page uh, sometime either later tonight or tomorrow. But look it up. And watch a video about this, the double slit experiment. It is amazing to understand how matter works at a small level. What's more amazing to understand, after I explain what this experiment was about and why it blew the mind of physicists all over the world, who originally couldn't even believe or accept what they were actually seeing, what this will help us to understand is how our choices create what we experience at the large level. Because ultimately, we are made of this stuff. It is behaving the same way at the quantum scale all the time. And ultimately, choice, consciousness and choice, free will, is what is from this field of potential that I'm going to talk about when I talk about the experiment. From those available potentials, it actually collapses down the possibilities and then creates events that actually take place in our lives. And I'll explain that further. But let's get into the experiment itself first. The double-slit experiment is looking at how matter behaves at a very, very, very small scale. Scientists want to understand what the electron, one of the smallest, um, uh, smallest subatomic particles, is. What is this thing that we call an electron? This orbits the nucleus of an atom, the center point of it. They take... Now, let, let's, before we even uh, look at the experiment from the quantum scale, let's, let's just envision the setup of the experiment, okay? Because before we do it with electrons, let's think about this at a, at a big scale of matter, okay? Let's think of this... If we were to do this with um, ping-pong balls or golf balls or something to that effect, okay? If you put one vertical slit through, let's say, a, um, uh, a door or a... Um, uh, a screen of some sort, let's say it was made of wood or metal, okay? You, you carved a, a, a thin vertical 
slit. Okay, so let's say you have a um, a, a, a wooden a wooden uh, panel that's let's say eight feet by eight feet, and you're going to set this wooden panel up in front of something that uh, your projectiles could pass through. Okay, so let's say you're going to do this with ping pong balls. And let's say on the other side you have, um, you know, some form of uh, um, some form of uh, uh, a soft material that the ping pong balls could get actually embedded in. Okay, you're going to fire them really fast with a ping pong ball shooting gun. Okay, for visual effect, try to envision this. Okay, so I have a gun that shoots ping pong balls, or you can even look at it as paintballs. Let, let's use that because that's even easier to visualize. So you have paintballs, right? And you got a paintball machine gun, okay? Now you're setting up a, a screen, a wooden barrier between a far wall that you're going to shoot these paintballs toward, right? And you're, you're, you're carving one slit in this wooden barrier between the far wall and the gun. So envision that, right? If you started shooting these paintballs rapidly through this one slit, the pattern that you would see on the wall would look like an individual line, a vertical line up and down where the paintballs passed through the vertical slit. And, and, and splattered on the wall behind the slit. You would also have a, a huge mess of paint where the paintball struck the dividing wood, the dividing screen, the barrier that we put in front of the wall. Okay? Try to envision that. If you put a second slit alongside the first slit, let's say separated by several inches or a foot, and you did the same thing. You started firing the paintball toward these somewhat close together slits. You would get a duplicate pattern on the back wall behind your double slit. Okay? So you have a, you have a barrier with two vertical slit, long vertical slits in it, and you're firing a, a projectile, like a paintball, through both of these slits on the back wall. This is just common sense. Everyday common sense would tell you you're going to have a pattern on the back wall that look like the two slits, two vertical lines where the paintballs would have gone through one or the other of the slits and struck the, the wall behind the, the barrier that you put up with the slits in it. Okay. Now, some of those balls would have gone through one of the slits, some would have gone through the other slit, and some of them would have struck the wall, the, the, the dividing wall, the barrier wall with the slits, and not gone through one of them to strike the wall that is past the divider. Okay, so if hopefully that is clear and people can en envision that. If you have a hard time envisioning it, I recommend you 
going to some video site like YouTube or Google Video or something like that and just type in double slit experiment. You'll get many uh, visual representations of this experiment which are extremely interesting. So continuing with this, it's self-evident. It's very obvious that when you pass large matter through one or two slits, the pattern that you would get on whatever form of measuring device you have on the other side of those slits would be vertical lines similar to the slit. Okay, so now if what, what quantum physicists wanted to really study is how does matter behave at a very small scale? Is it the same as how it behaves on the large scale or is it the same or is it different? Does it behave differently when you go down to the quantum level? So what they did is instead of firing large bits of matter, they fired really, really tiny bits of matter, very, very infinitesimally small pieces of matter, but pieces of matter nonetheless called electrons. Now, they do this with something called an electron voltmeter, okay? And, well, initially they did it with something called uh, an electron beam. So th they're, they're passing this beam of electrons through one slit, okay? And they get one line. But when they were passing it through two slits, they didn't get the expected result. They didn't get two lines on the measuring device behind the barrier with the double slit in it. They were getting the pattern that you would get with a wave. Okay? I'll say this again. It, when they passed a stream of very small pieces of matter through this double slit, they would get the result that you would expect with a wave, which is called an interference pattern. When you pass large waves like water through two slits, where the waves go through the slits, when they come out the other side, there is a crest and a trough to a wave. Where the crests meet, you have more energy. If a crest and a trough meet, you get a cancellation in energy. So you would see nothing in certain places, and in other places, you would see uh, a measurement of the energy with which the wave were striking the measuring device. This is known as an interference pattern. And you can see this when light passes through something that will block it. On the other side, you'll get something called an interference pattern. Uh, if you pass light through something that is translucent, you will get this pattern in the shadow on whatever the light is reflecting onto. So 
they did this with a stream of small, tiny, tiny, tiny bits of matter called electrons. Passed it through two slits, they get an interference pattern that you would expect with a wave instead of with matter. So what they did is they said, we want to confirm this result because we don't understand it. We're sending tiny bits of matter through two slits and with larger matter, we get two lines. But with small matter, we get an interference pattern. How could that be? Well, they say maybe... They thought maybe the electrons are bouncing off of each other and creating that pattern as they go through the two slits. So what they said is let's, inter let's, let's prevent that possibility. Let's take one electron at a time and send it toward this screen with these two slits carved into it and see what kind of a pattern we get on the other side, on the measuring uh, medium on the other side of this, this barrier with these two slits in it. So they take an electron voltmeter, which is capable of firing one electron at a time, and after hours of sending one electron at a time through this barrier with these two slits in it, an interference pattern emerges on the far measuring device behind the barrier. So think about this. This would be the equivalent of firing one paintball at a time through these two slits, and on the other side, you don't get two lines. You would get a pattern that resembles a wave form, like water or like light. It's impossible for the wave pattern, the interference pattern to have been created by each, any of these individual electrons striking other ones and so bouncing randomly and creating that effect because they eliminated that possibility by sending only one electron at a time through the slits. Now, think about it. You would think that's absolutely impossible. How could they send one small bit of matter through these two slits and it not formed two, two vertical lines, just like the large matter did. Well, that's because at the quantum level, matter is not solid. Neither is it really at the macro level, but it becomes seemingly so due to a specific quality which is what the scientists began to understand when they introduced the act of observation. This is why this experiment ultimately became known as the observer effect. The observer effect. Okay? What they did is they placed a measuring device at one of the slits, and you only would need to do this at one of them, not even at both, but at, at one of the slits. You could do it at both, but one is sufficient. They wanted to measure how many of the fired electrons actually passed through 
that one particular slit. So now, what they're doing is they're quantifying what is happening at a specific location in space. They're quantifying how many electrons pass through one of the slits in comparison to how many are fired. When they placed a measuring device capable of reading that information, capable of measuring when an electron would pass through that slit, the result of the experiment changed. What they then saw on the measuring device placed behind these two slits was two lines. The electron went from behaving as a wave function of potential based upon the act of observing and quantifying the electron in space at a particular place, at a particular point, the point at which it enters one of the slits. By that very act of observation, the possibilities were collapsed. This showed the scientists doing this experiment that the electron is not an actual piece of solid matter. It is only a wave function of potential to exist and actually become a particle. Now I'll say that again. What this ultimately showed the scientists doing the experiment is that since the electron when fired one at a time was behaving like a wave, but when you took away the possibility for it to exist as a wave function, you collapsed and you did that through how you observed the experiment. By placing an observer at one of the slits and actually counting how many electrons went through one of the slits or the other, you collapsed the pure potentiality of the energy that that electron is. And that act, the act of observing it in that way, created the actual piece of matter. The electron itself was not an actual piece of matter until you set up the experiment in such a, a form, in such a way, that you could observe it as a piece of matter. When you remove the electronic measuring device from the slits, and it goes back to not knowing which how many electrons go through which slit or the other, you get 
the interference wave pattern again. You put the observer back and you get the two lines. The electron only becomes the piece of matter at the point where it is observed as such, where it is expected to behave as such. Why is this? First of all, this is utterly astounding, and scientists had a really hard time accepting this fact, that matter is a wave potential of potential energy, and only when consciousness is introduced into the equation do you actually get any solidity? Do you actually create a point particle or an event? See, in the original uh, uh, portion of the experiment where they're sending one electron through the slits, it only really becomes a piece of matter when it hits the, the screen on the background. And it, it shows an interference pattern because up to that point, it was a wave function of pure potential. Now, to get a little bit more technical and maybe over some people's heads, this is known as superposition. In reality, all the possibilities that that electron could have made, it did make it hit the screen and bounced back. It went through the left slit, it went through the right slit, and here's the kicker, it went through both slits simultaneously, all at the same time. Every possibility that it could have done, it did, when it was a wave. That is the only way you could get an interference pattern. What the electron interfered with was itself after it passed the screen as a wave of potential. What does this mean in consciousness? This means that until we observe things differently and think about our role in the cosmos differently. We are not going to be working with the availability of potential that we really have, and we are going to be collapsing that function, that wave form of potential, into something that we do not really want to experience. Unless we observe things differently and that we think about them pretty much drastically differently than most of us have been thinking about them. So this is the quantum double slit experiment. And what it ultimately explains is how matter behaves at the quantum level and how that is governed through our own observations and actually what we expect to see.
we continue along the same way of thinking, we will continue to get the same results. When we change the way we are thinking, we will get different results. Consciousness and the act of observing, of being the observer, is what ultimately creates the reality that we experience. And this is not some new age perspective. This is confirmed through scientific observation and it is actually how things work at a macro scale. And what collapses all the, the field of potential and possibilities that we can experience is our choices. Free will decisions to take action is how we actually collapse all of the potentials that we can pull from, the field of potential, the unified field where all potentials exist. We then collapse them into events through our choices. And that's how we get what we experience. That is where I'm going to wrap up the five sense illusion. If you really deeply understand that experiment, if your mind isn't blown by that experiment, you didn't understand it. Okay? I'll say that again. If your mind is not really blown by that, you'll know you really understand what was explained there. If, you, if your mind is completely blown and you, you can't believe it at first, because that's what happened with the scientists. Okay, I strongly suggest checking out the video of the double slit experiment. And again, perhaps I'll, I'll post a, a link to one in the podcast section. But I'm going to leave the five sense illusion at that. Next week, we will continue to cover the barriers to the realization of the true self. And we'll get into ego identification, the prison of the left brain, and institutionalized belief systems. I'm going to wrap up the show a couple minutes early this week, and um, I will see you here next week at, at 8 p.m. Eastern Time. You've been listening to What on Earth is Happening. I'm your host, Mark Passio. My website is whatonearthishappening.com, and the network site is revolutionbroadcasting.com. Good night, everybody. See you next Tuesday night.